Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is proudly sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best acrylic paints, mediums, and gesso in the business. They also make core watercolors and Williamsburg oil paints. Based in New Berlin in upstate New York, they're an employee-owned company dedicated to making the best supplies for you to make your best work. Check out their products in just about any art store or at goldenpaints.com. Wilmont is an artist and curator based in Brooklyn, New York. He earned a BFA from the Massachusetts College of Art and graduated with high distinction. Brian has mounted solo exhibitions at Victory and Mo in New York, Guerrero Gallery in California, Driscoll Babcock in New York, Field Projects in New York, La Montaña Gallery in Massachusetts, and many others. His work has been included in group exhibitions at Asia Geisberg, Andrew Edlin, Spring Break Art Show, Alush Gallery, The Hole, Mrs. Gallery, Steinsland Berliner, County Gallery, Freeze UK, and many others. Brian currently has an exhibition, Mirage Mirage, at Victory and Mo, on view in New York through October 26. Next year, he'll have a solo exhibition at the Albany Museum of Art in Albany, Georgia. In addition to his art, Brian also runs Greenpoint Terminal Gallery in Brooklyn. I caught up with Brian at his solo show at Victory and Mo for a talk about growing up in Boston, art handling, printmaking, running a gallery, and much more. Here's Brian and I in conversation. Um, so yeah, I guess we could start with like you and grow. You said that your high school art teacher took did your portfolio for you. No, uh, oh, wait, my wait. friend's high school art teacher did. I would hang out at this other high school. Like half my friends left my school in ninth grade and went to a private art school where they had like big open campus and arts buildings and dancing and theater and everything. Where's this? This is in, uh, outside of Boston. It was the Cambridge School of Weston. Okay. Um, Stephen Merritt went there. Oh, nice. From, from the Magnetic, magnetic fields. fields. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, was he in other bands too? Was he Lamb Chop related? Maybe not. I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe. Magnetic Fields are good. Yeah. It's been a while. I haven't yeah, listened yeah. to him in a while. High school tunes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but so my high school teacher was very discouraging, and she had encouraged me to not go to art school. Really? Yeah. That happens? Yeah, she told me I wasn't an artist. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, look, it seems early. Yeah, <laughs> but I gotta I gotta beat on this one. This yeah, is I gotta not just make you. sure he doesn't get there. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> really important to discourage him. <laughs> I, did you have you sent her an email in the last? No, years? no, I never talked to her. I never reached out. Yeah, <laughs> no, I didn't really. Yeah, feel the need to be like right. Hey, guess what or, I'm doing? Yeah. Oh no, but still, just, I'm still doing it. Oh yeah, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, it was a bunch of you that left. No, a bunch of my friends left, oh, and okay. so I stayed at the public school. A bunch of friends left. But we would go and hang out there and after school and we'd go play uh, Counter-Strike in their computer lab uh-huh. and break in at night and like climb in through a window. And just like <laughs> after going to um, uh, Bigford's. What's that? Uh, it's like an IHOP. 
Okay. You could like smoke there still. We'd have uh, grilled cheese with tomato, French fries and coffee at like 11 p.m. Nice. Smoke cigarettes and we'd go break into the computer lab and play video <laughs> games. <laughs> what, like, what year are we talking here? It's like 2000, 2001. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Much to the dismay of like any girlfriends that were with us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you were, so you were into art at this point. But she was um, discouraging, or was this just a regular art class? It was regular art class, yeah. and I, I knew it was like creative, but I didn't know what art was really. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know what like big A art was. Yeah. So I knew that I I liked drawing, I liked painting, and I was lucky to go to a school that had like video class that I mm-hmm. took. I took a I took a graphic arts class where I got to run a offset press. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used an airbrush for the first time there. We had silk screen. It was it was actually really amazing, but I still had like no idea what art was. Right. I knew who like Van Gogh was and Dolly, and that was like almost it. George, I saw George O'Keefe and um, at, at a museum when I was young, and that like made an impression on me. I was going to say, were you close to the museums? I actually grew up across the street from the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, but really? uh, or w- my first few years. Yeah, but um, all I remember from there was like the mummy section, the Egypt. Well, that's area. the coolest section. Yeah. Of that <laughs> <laughs> so, so in working and all that stuff, I'm, I'm guessing that you were into music. Yeah, yeah, uh, I was into like punk music. Yeah, there was um, the old like infamous punk club, the Rat Scholar, the Rat. Right. Um, that was still open for a little bit when I was young. So they had weekend matinees that were all ages. So we go to shows like almost every weekend. Um, I'm so bad at the Boston music thing, but I just I only really know the uh, what is it? Um, the Middle East. Because yeah, the Middle East was there too, but then um, but less punk, right? More indie. It was like, punk that's, too. We played there. Like yeah. the band I was in played at the Middle East. Yeah, they had everything. They had punk shows. They had like scary hardcore shows. Yeah. They had all ages shows until. Um, this girl Jenny got her neck broken at a Cox Bar show from like a fat skinhead stage, stage diving. So they put an end to that. They put an end to it. Yeah, that's rough. No more all ages. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the yeah Boston um, mosh scene was like kind of in intense. full force. Yeah. yeah, it was very like infamous. Was the uh, the printmaking stuff you did? Would did you get into like making flyers or zines or any of that stuff? Not fully. I made like I made like a spaz hoodie. I made, I made like a few things for myself, but I never got into just like making myself like a bootleg business and like printing crass t-shirts or something, (laughs) (laughs) which I really should have done. (laughs) Right. Well, access to that. I remember growing up in like the bands that we played in, if anyone had access to some sort of screen printing or or some sort of offset, you know, anything you could do to make flyers. Totally. Yeah. I had, I had a band for one year and we made like patches and shirts and stuff for ourselves, but it was like outside of class. You didn't really have access to it. So it was like one semester and then it was over. Right. Yeah. So how did that, how did the rest of high school manifest itself? You've, you obviously went in the direction of art, so you didn't take her advice. Yeah, so I I didn't go to college after school, and I was a bike messenger in Boston, and I was going to hang out at RISD with uh, a friend often, and I was just going down there and hanging out with all these kids there, and they are just like wild and crazy and having fun, and I was like, man, this looks like a lot better than working. 
Yeah. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is in a time, I'm guessing, by the years when Providence is like really. Oh, yeah. This is like Fort Thunder time. Yeah. Yeah. This is when Providence was having its heyday. Yeah. So I was going down there and going to parties and like uh, painting graffiti and just, yeah. Yeah. It was really, it was really fun and inspiring. And so I was like, man, I think I can do this too. Right. Yeah. So I started putting together a portfolio and painting in my bedroom. And I'd already like been drawing all the time. I had, I, I always kept a sketchbook, but like I said, I just didn't know what like the gallery scene was at all. I didn't know what that meant or what it looked like or anything. So I drew kind of like, just like weird cartoony stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Were you influenced by some of that stuff going on there? Um, I don't even remember their art. I don't think I actually like looked at their studios or anything. I mean, yeah. I, I walked through, but they were all freshmen then. So they were just sort of like figuring things out and like finding themselves. Right. It was more just like the freedom and expression and just like the being energy. playful. Yeah. 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 I just had a really good energy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess like the, some of the, like the Fort Thunder stuff was, was inspiring just like the bright colors. And, and then I did go into printmaking eventually. So, yeah. Um, it just seemed like maximum everything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Know? Just exactly. like kinetic energy sonically totally. and visually. Absolutely. Overload everywhere. Yeah. And there's a weird, not weird, there's kind of like this strange anonymity to it in a way. Do you know what I mean? Where it was like a collective, with, right, with collectives right. comes right. kind of like this. And like Force Field being like hidden or, you know, right, right. from the People outside. Masks on yeah, like yeah. during performances and stuff. Yeah you, yeah. you felt like it was like the movement was almost the, the artist in a way. Right. And all it was the, like a beehive or something where it's more of just like the, the, the wholeness of it. Right. All of it together creates something bigger than itself. I'm sure it wasn't that way, and I'm sure they would disagree with that, but it's oh, just from the, from the outside, that's how yeah. it felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just felt like that was an energy that produced all this stuff, kind of like as a collective. Yeah, absolutely. And the band thing, too, you know, all the music was sonically forceful. Oh, yeah, kind super of out. intense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, lightning bolt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so I just started making work on my own, and... Um, taking classes i would take night classes where at, at mass art oh, and yeah. um the museum school and i did horribly in high school so i had to take um just like english and history and stuff to, to even get into college at northeastern university so i had like a lot of like making up to do also now what if what did your parents do that brought you to were they creative or were they more straight laced? They're totally creative people, but they're, I was just also like a latchkey kid. So they just were like not paying attention kind of, you know, (laughs) like my mom had been a ceramicist at like before I was born. And then she would go to like, she would go to figure drawing classes. I remember like finding like Conti drawings of like naked men under the couch. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like a good place to store pictures of naked people. Yeah, she actually, she took me one time. It was like in a brownstone. It was just like all these like middle-aged people just like... Drawing nudes. Drawing nudes, yeah. 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 Well, you were exposed to, well, yeah, exposed, exposed to might some. not be. <laughs> <laughs> you were shown the creative yeah. path in some way or another. Right, right. My father's a writer and uh, he's an acupuncturist. And um, so, yeah, it was always very like creative around, but it was also they were just kind of doing their own thing. So yeah. I was doing my own thing. So they were laid back and not the kind who would be like, you, 
you don't have straight A's. What's wrong with you? Like, Nobody what? ever told me what college was for. Yeah. Or, you know, like I was like, oh, you just go like study algebra more. That sounds terrible. Right. You know? And I was like, uh, everyone else was going to college and like had a, had their college next to their name in the school newspaper. And I was like, I don't even, I don't even know what this is. Everyone had like the hats of the colleges they wanted to go to right. like a year beforehand. It's like UConn. Why? Why? Yeah. What's UConn? Did you feel kind of left out in that sense, or or did you feel like there was a freedom in it? Um, well, I'd already felt kind of like weird at the school because I moved there the day before high school started. Yeah. And I was from the actual city in Boston, and then I moved to a suburb, and so I just I already felt pretty out of place there. Right. So the whole thing was pretty strange, and it was like a it was a pretty affluent neighborhood, and I was not used to wealthy people right you know it's yeah. like a place where kids would talk about like delaware is great because there's no yacht tax <laughs> <laughs> like, right. you're in 10th grade man yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> what's a yacht <laughs> right. that's funny yeah so well, what made your parents move make that move uh my mom moved so that i could go to schools there Oh, better was, schools. Yeah, much better schools. Like you could choose your classes from a catalog. And like okay. I said, they had these variety of art classes. They had a dark room. I, I never took a photo, but. Oh, so it was more the creative opportunities or was no, it just, just a general. You could even like choose like your history class, you right. know, like there was like variety of English classes that you could choose from. It was just like, it was like, I think at the time it was um, America's safest city. Okay. And like I'd been in living in like the hood in Boston where like you'd see like kids getting jumped for their sneakers and coats yeah. on the way to school and like had so to wait was, underneath the elevated train next to crackheads uh, for the school bus. She wanted to, get, they wanted to get you out they of there. Get me out of there. Yeah. Wait, were you your only child? I'm my mother's only child and my father has four from a previous marriage, but they weren't, it, were they around? They were around on Sundays. Okay. Yeah. But not like the day to day. No, I'm thinking no. If we you're didn't go like, like school together. We didn't like wait for the bus together or anything right. like that. And so you were by too. yourself. I was by myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sundays we all got to play, and then the rest of the time it was just like me. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least you had that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think like only parents of only children tend to, you know, worry more. You know, right. It's like you got right. this one kid. They're usually pretty like overbearing, smothering. You think? Yeah, yeah. I think they are. <laughs> from experience, right? right. Yeah. Not the opposite. My dad was like, "Yeah, they they just raise themselves." I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, reflecting on it. Uh-huh. How do you feel about that kind of upbringing? I guess you don't know anything else, but I don't know anything else. So I mean, I'm I'm happy for it. Yeah. Um. And, you know, obviously, there's like things everybody would probably change if it wouldn't change everything. Right. So you can't change anything, right? Right. You Butterfly know? effect. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you change one little thing. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, there was you know I had a lot of freedom. It taught me a lot of independence. Um. I grew up right behind a um an olmstead park you know who designed central park and prospect park Uh so it was like backyard three foot fence park like huge abandoned park everybody had sort of stopped going in there because there had just been all this gang violence that had been cleared out and Mm -hmm. they had put a big like fire gates over the roads i went through so there's nobody in there so i had this like strange dichotomy of growing up like a barefoot hippie like we grew all our own vegetables in like our garden and went foraging and like i just go play in the woods and then you know there were like drive-bys like right. a block away it's crazy, <laughs> it's crazy. yeah it doesn't yeah. sound like your typical boston experience no no i mean in one way <laughs> well 
Yeah, not the hippie part. Right. right, exactly. <laughs> you know, all those, like, Matt Damon Boston crime movies are like, like, oh, yeah, that was, like, when we'd hang out in South Boston. Is it still like that? No, I don't think so. I think, like, everywhere it's just... Right, it's just, like, cleaned up. cleaned up. Yeah, yeah. And there was, like, this time in, like, the mid-90s where they just got really tough on crime, and so it, it lessened a lot because everyone got locked up. But then, ten years later, they all got released... So there's this like, new crime wave. <laughs> Go out there. Yeah. Go out there and do your thing. Yeah. yeah. All at once. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like my, uh, my girlfriend at the time's roommate was moving in and like while she was moving in, her boyfriend's car got stolen and by the morning it was found just like the frame on blocks on fire. <laughs> I was going to jokingly say on fire. Yeah. Actually on fire. No, just as far as possible. <laughs> so did you, did you have the feeling like I need to get out of here? You know, when, when everyone else is thinking Yukon, Harvard, Princeton, whatever, you, are you thinking like, I just want to, move out of this area or were you fine there? No, because I kind of knew nothing else. So like, I think, I think sometimes like growing up in like tough situations just makes you want to like double down in a way. Mm -hmm. You're just like, yeah, this is fine. No big deal. Yeah, I can like, this is my environment. Yeah. It's just like intense here. Right. Yeah. And you like take on that intensity a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So it took a little while of like visiting other places because I didn't travel much growing up. So I just didn't really have much to compare it to. Mm-hmm. And so going to RISD, like I said earlier, that was like the first, like, there's this other, okay, I'll start with art school. But then I only applied to Mass Art in Boston. I was like, not going to go somewhere else. Keeping it close to home. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was also the only uh, state art school. And since I was in state, it was like incredibly cheap. Way cheaper, yeah. It yeah. was so cheap, yeah, yeah. And it's a good school, so. Yeah, it was a good school. Best of both worlds. Yeah, totally. So when did you, how long was the gap between? Uh, I had three years off and, but then I skipped uh, freshman year. I had a friend's mother or stepmother um, who was sculpture faculty and she sort of like helped me negotiate like what class that I would need to take in order to skip freshman year because I just like couldn't handle the idea of like living in dorms and I'd already been living in like, you know, apartments with roommates and living in these like crappy punk houses for like three fifty a month and I was like I can't go spend fifteen hundred dollars to like share a room right. in a dorm. <laughs> well, so you you literally got street credits. Yeah. <laughs> they gave you yeah. So you came in sophomore. So I came in sophomore year, yeah. And um I, I was like, I like drawing, so like printmaking has drawing in it. I'll be a printmaker. Did they do they have foundations? Did you skip that stuff? I skipped foundations. I had to make I had to do like a few makeup credits, but mm-hmm. since I'd just been taking like classes here and there, like I took like silkscreen classes and um, photography and uh, my mom would help me with like classes that she thought I could maybe get a job with later. Yeah. Like graphic design. So responsible. Yeah. Parents are so <laughs> looking out for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was terrible. Look at that. <laughs> so many rules. <laughs> so you got into printmaking. I mean, was it kind of all immersive? Were you taking all sorts of stuff? Um, yeah, I would take other classes. I mean, like painting classes and mostly just like the things you had to take, the, yeah. kind of like the core core things. Prereqs. Yeah, the prereqs. So, um, yeah, I did printmaking. It was a super small department. It was, I think, 12 people for uh, junior and senior year and then like maybe like 10 people in sophomore year and you don't get a studio till junior and senior year 
And that was like, you had to focus, you had to declare your focus, yeah, basically? Yeah, yeah, you had to declare a major, and yeah. then you got a studio, and the print shop was in this gymnasium, so it was in this old gymnasium, and like up on the like bleacher um, second level, that's where um, like half the studios were, another half were like tucked in this corner, yeah. but we just had like this huge place for... You know, only only the uh, juniors and seniors had like full access to the place, like on off hours. So there's like twelve of us with this like whole gymnasium. So we'd be like skateboarding in there and mm-hmm. like, yeah, printing printing tons of things that had nothing to do with school. Right. And, like you know, <laughs> yeah, selling T-shirts and prints and stuff, and yeah. making posters for bands. Did you hunker down and kind of just stay in the school area? Were you doing the museum things and going out to see music? I mean, Boston's pretty. There's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, maybe both. I mean, I really hunkered down. Since I'd taken time off, I really appreciated being there. And I'd kind of gotten, like, the partying out of my system to some extent. So, and I understood the value of my dollar a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I was, like, not really wanting to just totally blow it. So, um and it kind of like, it felt like it took me some effort to actually get there. It wasn't just like my trajectory, right? you know? Yeah. So I took it pretty seriously and, um, just like was there all the time. And, but I would go, to, I would go to openings. I was one of the only people that would like go to the, the like gallery district, yeah. you know, from my grade and stuff and go to, go to art openings on Fridays and right. first Friday they had. Yeah. Yeah. And the IC, when did the ICA get, they when did moved, that open? They, well, they had been in a much smaller space. No, yeah, but the one on the... Oh, the, the big on one. The harbor, yeah. Yeah. That opened... Um, it's been a while, right? It's been a while. Yeah. It was pro- I was like probably... I was in school then. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the end of school. Yeah. And that must have been a nice kind of opening to see. I mean, it's a great place to see. Yeah. Yeah, that was work. awesome. Yeah. I remember seeing like James Terrell for the first time and like almost like falling into it because I was like, I don't is, I don't know what I'm looking at. Yeah. Is this like a thing or not a thing? <laughs> it's like the absence of a thing. Right. <laughs> that James Terrell, early James Terrell moments are pretty impressive because yeah. I grew up in Pittsburgh and we have the mattress factory uh, and there's a permanent Terrell room. That's awesome. Where when you walk in, it's just a big long room and at the far end there's this floating blue rectangle right. of right. light, which right. is so cool. They project it on there, you know, yeah. but it looks like this glowing. Yeah. That was like the one, it was a red one. And it was like, there was like this space behind the rectangle that I guess was sort of like a seamless wall for like a photo set. Uh But so that you just didn't see any corners or shadows anywhere and you couldn't tell if it was glowing or like on the wall or its own thing sort of floating. Well, it was like, there was like a room. I was like, there's no one here. I'm going to touch it. And uh, (laughs) and I was like, oh, there's, there's nothing there at all. Yeah. Well, that was the the one in Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah. 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 A cut hole in the wall right, that exactly. was glowing. Yeah. From but you then. thought it was an object, but then you, you, re- really tell. Yeah. you realized that you could go in there. So we used to bring friends there who'd never been and uh-huh. go, like, watch this. And we would run and jump, jump into in. the room. <laughs> I can just jump into the wall. I think the statue's <laughs> limitations is clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But we would do that all the time and freak people out. <laughs> this is before phone, you know, cell phones and all right. that stuff. And, uh, but then at some point they got wise to this, probably seeing the footprints around. So they put this massive alarm system on. <laughs> and I remember one time running in there and jumping in and then this alarm went off. It Did was you just get caught? No, they, I just you got just out run of back away. I ran out of yeah. there. <laughs> but it scared the crap. Yeah. It's like, okay, okay. I won't, I won't jump in any yeah. more Terrells. <laughs> exactly. Learned my lesson. Right. Yeah. So you, what was your work getting, like as you were getting closer to graduating, were you starting to 
narrow in on what you were doing or yeah yeah i mean i'd i'd been doing like figurative work and it was a lot of drawing the first year i was doing a lot of prints and i was doing etchings lithographs i guess it was mostly um and then but by the next year i was like i don't need more than one of anything um in college nobody wants one you know <laughs> so <laughs> why make an addition especially with lithography all the work yeah, you put yeah. in on that you gotta grind stone down oh. and do all these like etching layers and stuff i mean it's beautiful and i'd love to have someone else publish my prints right but, it's amazing you know, but yeah i felt like doing it once was enough yeah I learned that I could make the same image in two days. It took me two weeks. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, friend's mom got me a gouache set for Christmas. And so I just started using a lot of gouache at first, I think, with prints. And then um, sort of maybe between, like, opaque and watercolory. And then it just sort of became the works on paper department for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of was that at large. Like, people, it was very free there. They didn't really care that you were kind of like go work at tamarind or something like that right which yeah, you, i mean some people did but you could just do your thing yeah. did you get the whole free paper in printmaking thing no we didn't oh, there okay. was free paper some places have <laughs> a free no. a free closet that if you major in printmaking uh, you can get no but i did work paper. study so at the end of the semester when all the uh, elective students would leave we got to raid the lockers and flat files nice yeah, so I got a lot of paper and all the scraps. screen ink and stuff. Yeah. The day old bagels of the yeah. art world. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So what what was the plan when you graduated? Um, I, I figured I'd move to New York or L.A., but I, I didn't want to do it yet. I wanted to figure out how to work independently. I was going to say, how did you get that? Because it seems like you were so entrenched in Boston. Yeah, yeah. How do you just figure, well, you know, L.A. might work. Yeah, well, I figured just like big city kind of. Yeah. Like I, I liked big city and kind of wanted to go bigger. Um, you know, New York is like the next one over. It's right. real close. Uh, yeah, it's a train ride. Yeah, exactly. My sister lived here, so I'd come visit her. And, you know, by the time I was done with school, I'd had friends that were living here for a few years already and come hang out. So, um, yeah, I figured I'd, I'd probably end up here, um, but I, I wasn't really ready yet. So I moved to New Mexico. I had a friend going there seems like yeah a logical like, yeah, stop in yeah, between yeah. <laughs> well do the opposite first you know right exactly yeah yeah kind of get that out of your system well in the heat you can change a change of climate's nice right right, right. especially coming from the northeast and yeah. then just like you know new york is a little more mild than boston but otherwise it's uh, you know climate wise but yeah well the weather on the haba i mean yeah, it's like exactly. brutal forget about it i feel like it's every weird. time i go up there it's it's a cold windy day it's yeah it's a lot of cold windy and days. it's brutal yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah in new york i finally learned to appreciate winters and that's right. just because it's not as bad <laughs> yeah it's not quite as brisk mm-hmm. so arizona you said or new mexico new mexico new mexico yeah so my, what was the connection there um well my grandmother's from new mexico and i've family there and so i'd grown up hearing like these like tales of ghosts and witches and like i heard about my my cousins were apparently abducted by a like a a horned cyclops that lived in the mountains and you said i want to go there yeah Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I want to yeah, check it out. Yeah, it was like very fabled, you know? And right. like they had just like this, like, yeah, stories of cowboys and Indians. And it was still like lawless when I went there. Yeah. It was still somewhere where if you saw like a do not trespass sign, like you didn't trespass. Right. In Boston, it was like, okay, cool, let's jump the fence. Climb the fence, yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Yeah. So, and then I had a friend, I had a friend moving there. So, uh, him and I and our girlfriends all got a house down there together and we were paying like three fifty a month and we had a yard that went <sighs> around the whole house with like two mountain vistas, you, you know, while you're doing dishes, you just looked out of a window looking at like a snow capped mountain. Yeah, just like Greenpoint. Yeah, yeah. Same yeah. thing. Beautiful, you know, <laughs> perfumed air. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so did you just get a, like a day job or something? Yeah. So before I got there, I had applied to a um, art packaging cardboard box factory, right. which um, I got the job because I was from the East Coast and he figured I had a work ethic. Oh, uh, yeah. Blue, yeah. blue collar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I went down there and I think I made $11 an hour and you had to be there at 7 a.m. and um, make cardboard boxes for like really cheesy art that had been sold the day before. And we del- like at noon, we'd make lunch from like Costco cold cuts that he'd buy and like <laughs> <coughs> bags of chips and granola bars. That sounds good. Yeah, but then we'd eat it while we'd drive the truck and deliver it. Oh, and, uh, so you were doing this all in like real time, like making the stuff for the stuff and then getting the stuff. To yeah, the yeah, yeah. Like a work would sell, they'd put in the order the next morning, oh, okay. we'd make the box and um, uh, my later to become friend, Brandon would make the outsides of the boxes and I would like cut out like the foam and mm-hmm. like cardboard inserts and maybe like plastic pl- uh, protective plates that would get glued into the insides. They're pretty good cardboard boxes, better than any I've seen here. But. Well, in truth be told, I mean, that's a pretty good know-how and knowledge. For, oh yeah. Yeah. What definitely. the line of business were. Absolutely. In. It's nice yeah. to know how to pack yeah. something. If I can you make need a to. box pretty quickly. Some people don't, I mean, that's not part no. of the art school education. No. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I have people like I, I, maybe we'll get into it later, but I, I have this gallery that I run and people bring me paintings just in their hands. <laughs> Right. You know, <laughs> like, well, sometimes it's better than this. the packaging they come right, up with. Right. Or just a plastic bag or like Bubble it's all taped to the front down. of it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. you're like, oh, I have to cut the front of it. <laughs> <laughs> they really should teach that, right? They should, yeah. It's sort of, it's pretty easy. It's like wrapping a present. Yeah. Yeah. Just like one basic uh, yeah. class period. Just like one day. Of like one day. here, you know, a couple don't, hours. Don't put the bubbles face in. That yeah, are gonna mark exactly. your canvas. Right. It looks like an octopus attacked it. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just to, you know, cover it in a sheet. Yeah, but it's amazing how that you know. I know it could just it could just be like a little pamphlet. Right, that's all. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even know what a level was like until after school. <laughs> <laughs> You'd always have a friend stand back, and they're like, "Does this look good?" And right, ah, right, a little higher in the left. <laughs> <laughs> Which sometimes you have to do because the place that you're in is so unplumbed right, right, level right, that right, you got to totally. use the art trick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that, I guess there could be worse day jobs in the sense that you got some Yeah, you experience. learn a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that led to uh, an art handling job. And, you know, I'd heard that was like the job to get in New York. You could make $18 an hour oh, yeah. if you'd had experience and wanted to be an art handler in the city. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go try to do that and worked for a gallery that was focusing on, um, it was a husband and wife and the husband focused on Japanese bamboo art. Sure. Um, so it like came out of the tea ceremonies tradition mm-hmm. and, um, I guess it, it held, um, flower arrangements. Ikebana, Ikebana. Yeah. yeah. So, and you know, it used to be really traditional and then it got a little more like sculptural and funky mm-hmm. and he introduced the market there and, and he, so he, he focused on that and Japanese contemporary photography, which is a strange mix. And then his wife had been the curator of textiles at LACMA for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So we had all kinds of like boutiques and, uh, 
African textiles and pre-Columbian textiles and things that I didn't know that I would like, but really got into. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I mean, it kind of worked there because it was kind of safe, you know? Yeah. So like, like. Wait, so you got this job in New York? Oh, this is, no, this is oh, in no, New Mexico. Oh, no, that was over there. Yeah, 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 yeah. How did that work? Yeah. Oh, were they doing like shipping outside of? No, there's so much tourism in New Mexico. Like, in the, like there's 70,000 people that live there, but there'd be like a couple hundred thousand extras in right. like the, the few, there's a couple different tourist seasons because there's skiing in the winter and then in the summer. So there's That's tons cool. of people coming from like, Oklahoma and Texas and you know people that might be like not ready for like uh you know some New York art right right (laughs) yeah no that's cool and I I remember visiting Phoenix which obviously is different state Mm -hmm. and a little different but there was it had that feel of a lot of you know there was like the provincial feel of it but then there were a lot of people coming in from out of town Mm -hmm. and they've got a good museum yeah you know a lot of they were selling there was a lot of like smaller galleries selling yeah. that sort of stuff and yeah there's a ton of small galleries at the time it was the second largest art market in the country wow with seventy thousand people living there yeah so it was it's kind of crazy and that's why we were on such a quick turnaround with the boxes i guess so yeah yeah, yeah. so they sold tons of like the, the galleries there a lot of them would just have like you'd have a brian alfred wall mm-hmm. and it would just have a little plaque with your name on it and it would have your work hung slung style yeah. and they'd sell it and they'd just take it off the wall and hang another one. That's you know, <laughs> <laughs> didn't have actual exhibitions. It's so great though that, you know, you can do that yeah. like outside. I mean, there's a market and yeah. people will buy yeah. and support artists. Yeah. 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 People had like studios in the back and galleries in the front. I guess I do that, but yeah. not with my own work, but right. <laughs> they would have uh, you know, their own work in the front and like you could check out the studio, do a studio visit while you're there and yeah. buy a piece and then get shipped out to you tomorrow. So you, you were busy. Uh, working well, there. I was busy working there, I guess, but I worked as little as possible. I'd work like, four days a week or three yeah. days a week. And yeah, as quickly as I could, I, I started doing one day packing art at the gallery and then they realized I had some other skills. So I became their gallery assistant and I think I worked three or four days then. I was always trying to work as little as possible so I had as much studio time as I could. Yeah. Yeah. And at the house, um, two of us shared the garage for a studio and then two of us shared the spare bedroom for a studio. So were you, was your work getting influenced a bit by the landscape, the light, seeing those other things that you're seeing, you know, not yet. It took till I moved to New York. Like it kind of, it kind of takes me a while to absorb things yeah. and like filter them into something that I'm going to actually use. Right. So I was still making like what I'd been making in, in Boston at that time. And I was, I was having like a, I, I was, I was showing at the point and, um, you know, this was 2008. Mm-hmm. And so it was just before like the, art market crash epic crash yeah because the, the the art world took like a little while longer they're just sort of like oh that's not real that's Everything's not happening fine. to us yeah yeah, yeah that's to them right so i was still showing a lot when i lived there and then right when i moved to new york like it all fell apart and people were like oh i'm not gonna show like young kids that don't have any experience anymore right <laughs> it's not a good idea yeah it's a tough time yeah 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 so, so, well, what brought you, I mean, how, how did the move happen? Um, my girlfriend was going to move back. So <laughs> she was like, do you want to ride? <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was done. Um, she had enough. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you think you could have stayed there? 
I could have stayed a little while longer because I was just getting like comfy in my job and like they were starting to like trust me more and take me to art fairs. And that was a cool experience. And I'd start making sales just like when nobody was looking kind yeah. of, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, there's no one else here. Like I'll just like sell some art. Right. Um, which, you know, has later served me. And yeah. You got a lot of experience. Yeah. That gig. Yeah. Yeah. They were going to take me to like Japan and meet all the artists and go through all the different islands and, Oh, you didn't get yeah, to do that? Yeah, didn't get to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Should have stayed. Oh, maybe you could retire <laughs> to a job there. Yeah, exactly. Go yeah, tour in Japan. They're still open. <laughs> Going to tea ceremonies would be pretty sweet. Yeah, absolutely. So you moved yeah. back, and you and I'm sure you knew a lot of people here at that point. Yeah, so I knew people here and had a had a friend's uh, room open up, a room in a friend's house in Bed-Stuy, mm-hmm. and didn't really know about the neighborhoods too well yet, so moved to Bed-Stuy. And while I was driving my budget truck down, I did a phone interview with an art handling company and did my real interview the next day mm-hmm. and started on Monday. Well, that's yeah. good, that you, especially yeah. in that climate. Oh, absolutely. I would imagine that jumping into a gig like that at that climate, mm-hmm. a lot of like gallery and a lot of information was expo- you were exposed to, basically. Because things kind of got real, right? Whenever the market crashed, I'm sure yeah. that kind of adds pressure or if it changes that environment a bit it was like 2009 by then so i don't know if things are heating back up a little bit or not heating up but you know weren't quite calming down yeah yeah and the company i worked for did everything for gagosian so Mm -hmm. you know they were like the least affected yeah i'm sure yeah um so yeah that highest tier was yeah exactly like the company i had worked for was um excuse me was was born at the same time as gagosian Mm -hmm. so they they started with them when Larry was like in Soho kind of and partners. then kind of grew up with them. Yeah. yeah. So they're sort of like his, like, you know, art handlers like on the side that are just available. Yeah. So we did everything for them and their collectors and their artists and, you know, would spend a week in Richard Serra's studio getting ready for, uh, you know, his Matt retrospective and things like that. Yeah. So, well, I know a lot of people have worked as art handlers and there's yeah. a lot of different, feelings and stories and it really sounds like it depends on who you're working with and for yeah i mean was yours okay or was it it was it it was it was great because all the all the other art handlers were awesome Mm -hmm. and there was you know more or less 25 of us and there'd be different people on different crews every day yeah and so you know we'd be working together for a couple days and then like just at the point where it's been a little much you know we get to work with somebody else and it's like oh i haven't seen you in a while what's going on keeps it fresh yeah yeah totally um and there was there was definitely like a fun free quality of like you weren't working directly under your bosses you just got a truck in the morning loaded it with art and tools that you needed and then went off to wherever the jobs were whether that was like in connecticut or the hamptons or one of the galleries um you just try not to break the judd yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't want one of those no, stories popping. No, up. but it, that also like quickly became like okay, twenty thousand and twenty million don't mean a lot to me. Those right. numbers because if I drop either one, I'm fired. So like, <laughs> yeah, right. who cares? <laughs> yeah, it's all the same. <laughs> like I'm not going to be scared about having my razor blade an inch away from this like, right thirty million dollar Warhol. Like yeah. 
this is just what I do every day. <laughs> you get used to it, right? Yeah, yeah. Did that enable you to to be able to get a studio at that point, or were you? Yeah, well, it did because I was. <laughs> we worked so much. I had overtime by Thursday, like yeah. most of the time. So I'd save money for the first time ever, and um, I guess like a, a year and a half after I was here, I'd been working in my house, and then a year and a half later, a friend who I'd been collaborating with previously was moving here from LA and I was like, you want to get a studio and started looking on Craigslist and, uh, found the one that I'm still in, uh, I guess nine years later. So then I, but you know, it took like first lat, uh, what was it? For two out of four months, four months total up front. First, last, and two two securities or something like that. And then you're left pinky and you're signed away your life. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it was a much bigger, it was a, it was a much bigger studio than we needed at the time because we're like, ah, 250, that's kind of a lot, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like, okay, we'll make it work. So (laughs) I got like a thousand square foot space and divided it into like 200 square foot studios and had friends from, uh, mass art all, I'll move in. And the other guys were, um, were art handlers at galleries. And so at that point I quit the full-time job and started freelancing. So me, two of us who didn't have our MFAs would just freelance and like work for the two guys that had to work all the time because they had their MFAs Mm -hmm. and had a lot more debt. So we could work like three or four days a week where they were needing to work five days a week. Um, you, you hear that kids don't go to grad school. <laughs> <laughs> that was when that decision started making sense You're to like, me. Oh, yeah. That's not <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Cause I always wanted to go and then I was like, Oh, these guys are having a hard time. Yeah, like crushing, <laughs> crushing debt. Yeah. 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 Paying like six or $800 more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you didn't have to deal with that. Yeah. So you got some more time in the studio. Yeah. Especially having that, um, cheap mass art in state that, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and all those Pell Grants and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember those. So between, so you're getting your footing in the studio, you've got your gig lined up. When did you first start showing the work? And then when did you start, you know, thinking about opening up a gallery? Um, probably took, it took a couple of years till I was showing again like with regular in re- with, with regularity mm-hmm. i was still like doing things here and there um but i'd also like started experimenting a lot more my work kind of exploded a little bit and i think that was like a symptom of being like an art handler and working for all these like huge artists and being mm-hmm. around these huge studios and seeing how that works and maybe gave me some sort of existential crisis for a little while. <laughs> you mean like, why is in my studio 5,000 square feet and yeah. I have 18 assistants? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, why don't I see anything like what I make out there? <laughs> Isn't it funny that you, I feel like you, you just, whatever you're around, like if you just hang around all the rich kids at school, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, why don't I have them? You know what I mean? You right, kind of right, just right. look at, the people around you and what they have and what you don't have. Right. Or if you're surrounded by, you know, people who don't have things, you feel like very like, Oh, I've got a lot. You know what I right. mean? It's all right. conditional upon Absolutely. Like, the way you look at it. Yeah. You get used to things really quickly too. Yeah. And it was like when I was young, I didn't know that it's poor. We were all poor. Everyone I knew was poor. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then at a certain point you're like, wait, why, 
don't I have all these assistants with like white gloves carrying my, you know what I yeah, mean? Like yeah, you get used absolutely. to that side of it too. Like people have huge studios and yeah. like can live alone. <laughs> <laughs> Just make art all day. And yeah. Not. Yeah. Like I've never heard of them even showing when they have a big <laughs> studio and they don't have a job either. <laughs> yeah. This is mysterious. <laughs> yeah. How do I get that job? Right. Yeah. So, um, I think, the showing in the gallery happened kind of at the same time, approximately, and I was I was sort of thinking as the gallery as my grad school in a way. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, this will give me a lot of different kinds of experience and you know get a sense of community and just build that, enrich that, and so going into it, you kind of had that that yeah. idea like this is well, going to be a great way to connect and sort of like be involved with other artists and. You know, that, that, that idea came like three months in. Okay. Like, yeah. It wasn't, the, it, it wasn't, wasn't the impetus, no, but it was like, no. oh, this is going to be really great because yeah. of all the communicating going, and all the yeah. meeting people and yeah. hanging yeah. out. Yeah. You know. I started doing it because I just wanted to clean up the studio where a friend was moving out and he had been a sculptor and it was just trashed. And so I wanted to build the walls all the way up to the ceiling instead of like the janky studio walls we had built and right. clean the floor up because no one was renting it, even though it was below market value. Yeah. Um, but the building was still like abandoned and kind of scary. So we, uh, yeah, so I just fixed it up and I was like, Oh, I'll just have a few shows and then had a few shows and like just got a lot of great feedback and my friends were all really supportive of it and started getting interest and in things. So I just figured I'd go for a little while longer. And then after a year, the next, um, studio. So this is in the front of my studio. Yeah. The, yeah. So the closest to the door and then the next studio over opened up a year later. So it was going pretty well. So I tore down the wall, dividing it and, uh, extended the studio and put up real lights where previously I had clip lamps Mm -hmm. that I would just edit out of photos and, (laughs) You know, no one needed to know that I was on the third floor and had clip lamps. (laughs) (laughs) They just saw like New York gallery. Yeah, just art on the wall. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like still almost all, maybe all of the sales have come online anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So that hasn't really affected it at all. Right. Yeah. So. I mean, was the project basically facilitated, though, by the fact that you had this space that you could sort of split up and then you had a little bit of extra space? Well, it wasn't actually, I wasn't really charging extra. I wasn't doing the, like, I'll build out a big studio and then get my studio for free kind of a thing oh, right, or right. subsidized. Yeah. Because I was just, like, doing it for I just wanted mine to be cheap. And if I got a big one, I could get I could get a better rate. Yeah. It was like, if I wanted a solo studio, it was going to be at least double the right. money for the square footage. Yeah. So I got a bigger one and uh, just sort of invested in it and had friends move in. And I always wanted to have people that I wasn't going to like have it be like double the, you know, if, if, it, if you're going to double the rent, I don't really want to like share a studio with, oh, that yeah, person, yeah. you know, right. Like, it's not, the, yeah. you don't want to do that to your friend. No, yeah, like, exactly. Here, you can have this space twice as much. It's going to pay for mine. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. And you want to feel like, like, oh, we're in this together. Yeah. We both have like this cool studio. And we yeah. can all get something that's slightly more affordable yeah. compared to yeah. if someone actually tried to get this whole space by themselves. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, but I, I started making sales fairly quickly, not a lot, but like enough that I was not worried about paying the rent. It was like sweat equity was going to be a thing, but then rent wasn't a big deal. So like my time was probably donated, but 
I could pay my, you know, and at the time it was, it was still really cheap too. And yeah. I'm paying studio rent. I'm not paying like even storefront in, you know, Gowanus at the time. Right. It's going to be way more expensive. Yeah. 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 Well, that I'm, I'm sure that helped facilitate and helped you when the pressure's off in that way, you can just show what you want to show. You know, it's yeah. not, it's, you, you're not like hustling in the sense of like, oh my god, I'm gonna lose this space. If right, I don't right, right, right. Totally. If I don't, if I don't sell something for like a show or or two, it's not gonna be a big deal. And I also quickly learned that if I if I show something that I I think will sell, it probably won't sell. And then if I think something's probably not gonna sell and I show it anyways, it might just sell. <laughs> right. <laughs> might be selling things out of the studio. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You just <laughs> above never and know. beyond the show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I learned that I just need to like go with my gut and show what I feel like showing so that's been a rewarding experience you would say yeah it's still going strong yeah it's been six years i've slowed down i i I do like almost half the shows i was doing a show a month Mm -hmm. when i first opened up and i was putting out like a little zine catalog and i had a little army of interns and now i don't have any interns i don't do any zines and i'm doing uh, yeah, like a show every other month. Yeah, which seems like a lot Re- more sustainable, reasonable pace. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, you have a show up now, so you have to make the work for that. So yeah, yeah exactly. Well, exactly. why don't we talk a little bit about you know what's in the gallery now? And like, yeah, how long have you been working on this show? Um, well, I've had other shows during the span, so it's been like maybe eight months of work spread out over a year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I've known it was coming for a while, and it, um, I switched dates with another artist here, so it's gotten a pushback a little bit, and yeah, so... It's such a nice space, and you've you've kind of created these wallpapers that hang behind some of the paintings, and when did that idea start to come about? And so the first show I did with them, with Victory and Mo, in their old space, we were getting ready for that, and I was just... I was just talking to them about these digital files that I was making and um, these patterns and just just kind of like one of my many ideas and going off about it and on a tangent and they're like, oh, we could do that. And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah, we, we have a big printer. Um, so Ed had owned this frame shop and we were able to just print out the wallpapers really easily and not having to worry about outsourcing them or anything. Yeah. So. Um, so it just came out really naturally and then, and then it was just really fun to do it and got a lot of great feedback and it was something that I was interested in. So, um, I guess at the time we did it, I had a a solo booth at Volta with them Mm -hmm. that opened two weeks later than my solo show with them. So I basically had these two shows in tandem that I did and two, two wallpapers where, the images from the wallpaper came directly out of the paintings that were hung on top of them. So the paintings were camouflaged into the walls, more or less. And um, so you might not notice them at first, except for the, the dimensionality of them and the difference in surface and everything. And uh, yeah. So, so you're taking photos of the paintings and then bring them into the computer and sort of manipulating them. Yeah, it'd make like a not quite a pattern, not a, not like a fully repeating pattern, but a pattern where like it kind of morphs and shifts. And so the elements of the painting repeat throughout, but they, um, it's not tiled. It, it changes throughout. So it has a sort of like game of telephone where it, information gets lost in certain areas and created and added in other areas. 
so um, which I also do with my paintings too. So I'll photograph, I'll photograph smaller works, uh, put them in Photoshop, and then just start playing with those until they create new images. So, like he, here, I have one painting that's like the parent of a wallpaper, and then the parent of another painting, and there will be there will be paintings that like there's I don't know maybe 15 of mm-hmm. that are all like related all come out of each other. Yeah. Well, some of the the words that kind of popped in my head, this could be annoying, but I'm just going to say it was kind of, you know, technology or kind of the computer graphics in yeah. a way, because a lot of the spaces in them are these sort of figural things that look like they're created with the help of some sort of technology mm-hmm. or the way that they're painted. Mm-hmm. There's like even a technology to the painting of it yeah. and floating in these kind of like either repetition spaces of a pattern or a sort of blank yeah. field that yeah. feels almost like, you know, VR-ish in a way. Right. And then, you know, there's the aesthetic of like things like Vaporwave or whatever that mm-hmm. are tapping into some of that mm-hmm. retro future right. kind of tech stuff. Right. Is that stuff that's like on your visual radar at all? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, they're all airbrush works and, you know, when you, when you, you think of airbrush, you kind of think of like this, like, uh, future vision if, but f- like from the seventies, right. you know, seventies and eighties. Yeah. So it's like this antique future. Um, and so, and it's like a mechanical reproduction. It's very, um, it's a very commercial medium. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking a lot about like screens and like our obsession with our devices and everything. And uh, making, I was making my work really flat and trying to get the surfaces really flat. So you might not even know that it's a painting. You yeah. know, people will walk up and like, are you still painting these days or what is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like some of the repetition of, you know, if you look at someone like Warhol where it's the repetition mm-hmm. of popular imagery mm-hmm. and that repeating of whatever is popular um, and something like vaporwave or that kind of aesthetic, it's like things are, you're taking the reproduction and then collaging it or injecting some sort of like, originality or you know you're making the original out of the popular reproduced mm-hmm. sort of whatever it is whether it's a you know a computer drawing technique or whether it's like a signage of an advertisement or a record cover whatever mm-hmm. those bits are it's, it feels collaged but not necessarily collaged imagery just in the pure imagery of it but almost like time collage and mm-hmm. and feeling collage you right, know what i mean right, yeah so it kind of paints a, well, like you were saying, kind of like a retro future, but it seems outside of that. It's right. foreign because it's not tied by the linear experience of visual time. Do you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's a little more... Right. Well, the things kind of float in these weird spaces, like you were saying, kind of like VR spaces. And I've always thought of my work as like kind of being like slightly animated in my head, mm-hmm. just a little bit, like a opening, like like the DVD title screen. Yeah. Or like, you know, or there's just like this like image that's just moving a little bit and there's like this background that's like there's smoke that's going by or something like that. And there's sort of these like two or three layers that are very crudely animated. So yeah, the, the work definitely like has these layers where things are sitting in like a space that they're almost like separate from. Well, you're getting like subtle movement too with the differences of materiality of the paint and the mm-hmm. sheen on things, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And there's some iridescent stuff going on too. Yeah, right? some iridescence and then like some flat areas and glossy areas. And yeah, and I mean, 
you know, kind of like recreating all these like chrome sort of effects and like liquid metal things. And yeah, yeah. Those are interesting because it's, it's not moving subtle movement, right. but as you move, the piece changes. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, user enabled movement. Right, right, right. Have yeah. you done any sort of, you know, animation or VR, AR stuff? I've done a couple animations where, um, or I did, no, I did one animation where it was photographed paintings where I would take apart pieces from like the paintings and drawings and then just have them like, it was like sort of like this like hurricane vortexy animation with like weird birds and architectural elements flying through space. And then I made a, uh, I made a movie before I left Santa Fe Mm -hmm. trying to take advantage of like all the space that was there. So I made all these costumes and props and a full sized world war two fighter plane out of cardboard Mm -hmm. from the box factory. And, uh, like invited a bunch of friends to come camp in my yard and sleep on my floor and make a movie with me for 10 days. And, uh, but I'm just like an over the shoulder editor. Like I, I make work that's very like tech and digitally inspired, but mm-hmm. I don't know how to use tech. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm just like with a friend, I'm like, can we do this? And he's like, like that. I'm like, uh, yeah, but like, can you make it spin? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny that you can use iconography that's loosely related to tech yeah. and people think you're this like cold tech artist oh, totally. yeah. and then there could be someone who's making very gestural paintings that are completely mapped out uh-huh. in like Photoshop and they work as a coder. they're so raw and emo, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just total yeah, yeah, totally. perception totally. of the signifier of the right. way it looks right. and not the actual way it's made. Right. I'm almost interested in it because I'm a little like scared of it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of uh, some electronic music is like the most punk stuff out there. I think, right. You know, even yeah. though people think, Oh, well that's all done with computers or whatever. Right. Right. Or it's not personal. Right. But I think that's not true. You know, it's just a perception of what it looks like. Right. Right. Totally. Don't, don't judge a painting by its cover. <laughs> <laughs> so, that might be something that you, I mean, that technology is getting more ubiquitous. So is that something you think you might fool around with? Yeah, I would, I would love to, but I would have, again, I'd have to be the backseat driver. Right. So I need to find someone that wants to collaborate or do that. Cause yeah, yeah. I like, like I said, I see things as moving kind of subtly in like either video or VR or AR is definitely something that I'd be interested in. And, and since the way I make things in this like repetitive fashion, I think that it would lend itself to just like making landscapes. Yeah. Yeah. I did that. Um, what is it? Tilt brush Google's VR painting. Thing. Oh yeah. And it's, it's pretty wild when yeah. you go into it. Yeah. Have I mean, you used it with your work? No, not at all. I was okay. just, I was giving a talk somewhere where they had this big lab where yeah. you could do that. So they were like, do you want to try this out? And I said, sure. And you know, not thinking that much of it, but when you do it, you're like, whoa, this is yeah. intense. Wild. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was definitely, visually dated in a way or it felt like of an aesthetic and an era but i feel like that's just the beta versions of these things they'll get even more it's like video games yeah they start off as how to do i remember pong that's how old i am you know and now (laughs) it's like seeing the things my kids play it's like right it's can never imagine yeah Yeah. it's just like two sticks and a tetrahedron moving across the screen i thought it was amazing (laughs) then pac-man yeah then (laughs) pac-man right and that was was really amazing (laughs) it did it felt like there was endless levels right that's all you needed (laughs) right (laughs) well change the map a little bit yeah definitely so how long the show's just opened right yeah open thursday so it's up Um, for a while 
Yeah, it's up for, I think, five weeks or something like that. Nice. Yeah. And then, I mean, the show's still up, but is there anything else that you've... Are you taking a break for a little, or are you yeah, still taking... working on hanging shows at the Green... <laughs> I mean, we didn't mention... Yeah, we have a show G- up now. The Greenpoint Terminal yeah. Gallery. Yeah, Greenpoint Terminal Gallery has a show up now. Um, um, it's a... Yeah, it's a three-person show. Samantha Bittman, Cody Hoyt, and... Uh, Abdulareza Amin Lari. I always butcher his name. Abdi. Nice. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. That she opened that. two weeks ago. Yeah. So I've been I've been relaxing for a few days, and then um, I'm gonna I think I'm gonna work on some digital prints, which I've never done. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're gonna do a print release here in a few weeks. It's not locked down yet. Nice. So it's gonna be imagery that comes from the wallpaper, but isn't like uh, uh, just like a, a, a section of it. Right. Yeah. It's not like my, a repeated pattern, but a specific, maybe like a repeated pattern within it, but like a, just like a part of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always like been tempted to do digital prints, especially being a printmaker yeah. in school, but haven't wanted to just like do the, you know, reproduction of a painting right. kind of thing, yeah. which is like the, the pretty normal way to do it. Right. I don't have a problem with that, but, you want to do something, tweak it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, especially since I do so much in Photoshop, it seemed only natural that I should like make it unique. Right. Yeah. And that will hypothetically eventually be available through the gallery. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, totally. So do yeah. you want to give the, the gallery name, address, and then like anywhere else people can find your stuff? Yeah, totally. Um, We're at 540. Wait, I don't know the address. What's the address, Celine? 242 West 22nd Street in Manhattan, Victory and Mo Gallery. Um, you can find them. It's on the online. ground floor. It's on the ground floor. But it's yeah. it's east of where you might be thinking. It's just a couple blocks east. Yeah, like yeah. It's between eighth and seventh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you can find me at brianwilmont.com on Instagram at brianwilmont. And, uh, Does the gallery also have there. a website? Oh yeah, GreenpointTerminalGallery.com dot com mm-hmm. and at Greenpoint Terminal Gallery, and uh, yeah, and we're open um, Saturdays one to six if you want to come by. Nice, yeah, we'll stop by. Well, cool. Thanks for inviting me to the show. And, yeah, uh, thanks for coming it was, by. It was good it was nice to, to meet. Talk to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find more images from the podcast and the, the artist's work at Sound and Vision Podcast on Instagram. You can find more about my work at Alfred Studio on Instagram. Uh, SoundandVisionPodcast.com is where you can find episodes, past episodes, running all the way back from number one. You can find images on there. You can even donate to the podcast if you'd like to support it. Thanks to Lullatone and to Michael Lovett for their musical contributions and thanks to all the listeners if you have a chance please go to miles mchenry gallery and see my show before it closes it's up through october 5th it's called high rises and double vision and uh there's a catalog with an essay by pack bobrick in it uh, which is available at the gallery also make sure you go see brian's show up at victory in mo it's also on 22nd street Make sure you swing by Greenpoint Terminal Gallery and check out the artwork that they hang there. They always put up good shows. It's over in Greenpoint. 
make sure you uh, rate and review on iTunes, please. It really helps the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting Sound and Vision.